Welcome to the Goldfish Village podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Mercer, founder of Goldfish Village, also a realtor with Premier Chicago Real Estate. So if you're looking to list your home or or purchase an investment property, please contact me. I can be reached at www.listwithmercer.com. Today, we got a special guest. Young lady has properties out in Michigan, has six units to be exact. Uh, Tina Moore, welcome to the show. Good evening. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Real estate is what I love. And, and you know, here on the show, you know, we really want to educate people on how they can create financial freedom through real estate. So tell me a little bit about your story and, and how you got involved with your first property. Sure. Actually, I really happened upon real estate. Really, it was by accident, purely by accident. I was looking for a home to relocate my parents because the childhood home I grew up in had become in a less than desirable neighborhood. And I had recently moved to another part of town. So I was really trying to get them to be closer to where I was. Um, as you can probably imagine, they weren't in agreement with that. So I ended up renting out, it was a two unit on the west side of Detroit. Wow, it was a two unit on the west side of Detroit. And yes. how, how long ago was this? That was in 2004. 2004, so that was well before, I guess, the market crashed. And you said you lived there? No, no you I moved out. to that part of the town. Yeah, that side of town. So what? Okay, so you bought you bought the two unit on the west side of Detroit. Is that where you're from? No, I'm actually I actually grew up on the east side of Detroit. Oh, okay, the east side. But so the the west side is a little bit better than the east side, right? Come on now, I'm not gonna <laughs> agree to that. <laughs> okay, so you bought your first property um in 2004. How much did you purchase the property for? I purchased the property for $60,000. $60,000? So did you pay that? Was that all cash? No, I took out a loan. So I took what I did was I took a part of the proceeds and did some renovations to the property. I put new carpet, painted, um, updated some of the bathroom and kitchen items. Okay. So what was the investment about, you think? It was sixty. Okay. about So about 60000 And... How big were these units? One was a two bedroom and one was a one bedroom. A two bedroom and a one bedroom. So, uh, off that sixty thousand, were you able to cash flow? Yes, there was already a tenant there when I purchased in the upstairs unit, and I rented out the downstairs unit. So I was immediately able to cash flow roughly five hundred a month. Not bad, not bad. Five hundred a month. You know, it's paying for itself. Just giving you right. got equity in it and you know, you putting some money in your pocket at the same time. Now, right. When, uh, okay. So when you were doing this, was it, was it any, were you scared at all to purchase? You know, I was, I did have some reservations. I had just purchased my first home, probably for my own primary residence, probably about a year prior to that. So I had just familiarized myself with the loan process and, you know, making sure you had the necessary financial resources for upkeep and maintenance. So I felt a little bit more comfortable having done that, but obviously that was something that I was personally invested in because it was my primary residence. So this was a little scary venturing out, you know, doing a rental and investment property. Wow. So, so was it a conventional loan? Yes. Okay, so you had to put down that 20%. Yeah. Okay, so this was your second uh, property that you purchased. 
Wow. So five hundred dollars that pays for a car note at least, <laughs> right? Not quite. Oh, really? I have expensive, I have expensive taste, so not quite. <laughs> well, it pays. If it's it's about even with what my car note is, so that's well, you know. So well, kudos to you. So okay, so you buy this property, you fix it up. Did you have previous experience in real estate? No, that was my first venture into investment property. So what kind of got you comfortable to go ahead and step out? I know you had the one property already, but you know, with me when I first started, it wasn't as you know risky as what you're doing. I bought a three flat. But I lived, oh, okay. I lived in the basement. So at okay. the end of the day, I was there every day. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like out of sight, out of mind, you know. Yours, it was a straight up investment. Right. You know, what um what gave you the nerve to do that? Well, you know, in Detroit, in the metropolitan Detroit area, there's a very large rental market. So there's a plethora of renters out there. So I really didn't, I felt comfortable having done my research knowing that there was that large rental market out there. So it was a matter of me just doing my research, getting it into a viable neighborhood, um, making it amenable where someone would want to pay me the rent that I was looking for and also something that I could make, maintain. My rule of thumb is that I don't get properties that I can't cover if someone's not paying the rent. So if someone doesn't pay the rent, I'm not scrambling because what I learned in my research and knowing other people that had rental properties, they would live off those monies. So if someone didn't pay the rent, you know, they're kind of like pulling their hair because now I can't pay my mortgage or I can't pay my car note. So I just made it a rule of thumb never to live off of that money and then I would be able to cover whatever expenses were associated with the property in the unforeseen circumstance that no one paid their rent. Hmm. Yeah, you know, one of the, that's one of my rules of thumb too. Like, if I can't afford it, if they move out, right, I'm not gonna get it, or I'm not, and I'm not gonna buy a place that I wouldn't feel comfortable living myself. You know? Right. So I, you know, so that's that's very good advice because a lot of people get over leveraged, and then when one person is late or gets behind, right, it's a wrap. <laughs> exactly. Because people will be late. <laughs> you know yes, they mean? will. They will be late and they will not pay. <laughs> so that's when my full-time job kicks in because I'm a licensed practicing attorney. So I tell my tenants right off the bat that it's nothing personal. I run a business. If you don't pay your rent, I have no problem following the necessary paperwork because it costs me nothing but my time. So you tell them you're an attorney right off the bat. I do. Absolutely. Oh, that's intimidation right there. Absolutely. That's intimidation. <laughs> so have you... Have Absolutely. You, so... I take it you didn't feel intimidated being a woman uh, going into this arena. I did not. I did not. The The one arena or aspect of this, why I say it comes into play is when I have to do repairs or maintenance, I make it a rule of thumb to not hire anyone unless I get three quotes for that very reason, because someone will say, oh, well, she doesn't know what she's talking about. You know, she doesn't live here, you know, and some things I don't, in all honesty, but I, so I have to learn and educate myself. So I know if I'm getting three quotes and I'm not obviously a furnace repairman, if someone tells me hypothetically 10,000, then another person tells me 2,500 and another tells me 4,000, right off the bat, I've educated myself to know that this 10,000 person is really trying to take advantage of me. And then I'll have to do further research to figure out if those other two bids, which one is more in line with what I should be paying. Yeah. Or even, 
it, like I had a person come by, they said, oh, it's going to be 15,000 to get this done. Then I had somebody else come by and say, oh, I just got to change this piece out. It'll be, right. be $300. Right. I'm like, okay. Uh, you know, that's, that's interesting. So, okay. So your first spot, obviously your house, and then you got the two unit. What was the next investment? The next investment, I actually bought two properties during the recession. Oh, um, so wow. I was able to purchase those outright. Wow. So you bought those cash. Yeah. Wow. So at that point, cash was king. Yeah, yeah. A lot of outbidding back in 2008, 2009. <laughs> you had to have yeah. yeah, and I had to be really clever because there was one in particular an area that I wanted. And every time one would come on the market, I had established a really good relationship with my realtor at the time where he would give me the code. I probably shouldn't be telling this, but I'm not going to say his name. He would give <laughs> me the code. Oh, wow. And Lazy. I would go over there and look at it or whatever because we had established that sort of rapport and relationship. So one... You know, I had it down to a science where I'm like, I kept missing out. So I just placed the bid, had him place the bid, and I went over there and checked it out because they were snapping them up so fast in this community. And that's how I was able to get the property. I just had them solicit the bid, you know, submit the bid sight unseen. And then I wanted to confirm that it was what I wanted and needed it to be. And I was able to secure the property. Now, a lot of times when you get in that bidding process, especially when you get out bid um, and you don't have cash, like, Sometimes you get in a you get caught up in like overbidding, you know, just because you want to get your hands on something. Did you fall mm -hmm. victim to that at all? No, I did not. Because, again, it was just a matter of me educating myself. I had watched this particular community for quite some time. Um, there were some that I didn't submit bids on, but not because I felt like I was going to be overbid. But again, I didn't want to over leverage myself because some of them I was looking at were condos. And while they were reasonably priced, the association fee would be three, four hundred dollars. So by the time you tack on, you know, whatever other associated expenses with the property, I didn't feel comfortable being in that in that range personally. It was still a good deal, but it just with me being a small investor, it wasn't something I was willing to take on. So these two properties that you bought were those condos? One was. Mm -hmm. So one was a condo. What was the other one? A single family. Oh, wow. So compare and contrast like the difference between uh, renting out a condo, a single family and a multi-unit. Sure. There's quite a bit of difference. Um, the difference in a single family, you'll probably get more persons that are going to reside in the property. Whereas in a condo, you'll probably get a single person or a person that has one child. So it's a lot less wear and tear when it's fewer people residing in the property. And when you have a duplex, you have to make sure that you're selecting people that can cohabitate together within a single unit, even though they're in their own separate units, because you don't want to have one tenant call and saying, hey, they're taking up the driveway or they're not doing this. So in my multi-unit, the way I designate it is one unit has access to the driveway and the other person has the basement of the unit. Oh, okay. Okay. Now, is there, is there a preference on which one you think is a better investment? I think a condo is a better investment because it's more secure. So like if I have a vacancy at a single family home, I have to worry about making sure the property is secure that, you know, I keep the utilities on in a condo, you know, you have a lot more movement because it's connected. So you don't have to worry so much about the security when it's vacant. Hmm. What about those assessments, those like special assessments? I haven't had a special assessment. Oh, okay. 
yeah, I've been fortunate in that regard. What you know, a lot. Of, another thing about condos is that uh, sometimes a con, like if I if I own a condo and then the person next to me purchase it just for it as an investment, you know, a lot of people say that brings down the value of like the overall the other units in the condo. Um, has that, have you had any pushback from other unit owners who live there? No, actually the association, they limit the number of rental units that can be within the complex. So they've already taken that into account and you have to make sure that they know that your unit is being rented out and you provide them with the necessary documentation. Okay. So these units that you rented out, you, you, you had cash at the right time. Would, would that be a good assessment? Correct. Yes. So you had cash at the right time, buying them for cheap, and you knew this at the time. Yes. Yeah. So timing is a it, it, like it, it, anything when you buy any type of investment. Timing means a, a ton. When you buy, so when you were buying a condo back then, I guess that was around two thousand nine. How much was a condo going for back then? And then, um. Well, yeah, how much were condos going for? It depends on what area you were looking for. Like in the metropolitan Detroit area, it's such a variance of home prices mm -hmm. because it depends on if you're looking in the city, in particular, what area you can get it, you know, bargain. Um, that's not the case now. Detroit is actually higher than some of the suburban areas. So it's kind of flipped since I purchased those properties. But when I'm looking for a property, I kind of use something that you alluded to earlier. I don't purchase a property where it's somewhere that I wouldn't live. So that kind of gives me a rule of thumb because if I walk up there and it's sketchy, you know, I see people outside, it's like, you know, yeah, this is, this is not where I want to be because a lot of times I'm going over there by myself um, because in the process I become very handy myself. So I'm my own painter. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, sometimes I do my own, you know, cleanups and clean outs and things like that. Um, so I have to be very mindful just for security reasons where my properties are located. So when you're talking about pricing again, in the Detroit metropolitan market, it's all over the place. So it's is there, well, I guess a better question is, is there like a specific amount that you try to net when you purchase a property? Like you got, you got to make at least X amount. Per yeah. Day. At the bare, yeah. At the bare minimum, I like to clear between two and 300 a month per door yeah okay that's a that's a good rule of thumb and i i can uh totally get on board with that um do you do you focus on appreciation at all or is it purely cash flow a little bit of both i think you have to take both into consideration because if you do one without the other you could miss something so i think when you're scouting locations you're looking at it from the appreciation vantage point and then when you're looking at the rental rate you're looking from the cash flow standpoint because I like to make sure that I have enough money for reserves. Like one property, I just had to put a furnace in. And as I'm sure you're aware, a furnace is not cheap. Not and that was bad. something I had to do within a day's notice. So, you know, I sent someone over there and they were like, you know, Miss Moore, you need a new furnace. Wow. You got to do it, right? So, yeah. you know, you have to make sure you have that cash flow there in situations like that, which again is another reason why I advise others when I have similar discussions, not to live off of that money. Because when you have a major expense like that, if you're using that as your own cash flow, that can really put you in a tailspin. 
Oh yeah, absolutely, a hundred percent. Um, and and those things will pop up, whether it's the furnace, absolutely, the water heater, or some type of water. Absolutely, it's 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 coming. <laughs> absolutely, it's definitely coming. So, so that that's good to know that um you know you try to cash flow, uh, at least two hundred dollars off of each unit. Um, mm-hmm. so at this point, so we're talking. Okay, you get primary residence. You got the two flat, and then you buy a house. So was that five? So. What are the next? What's the next purchase? The next purchase I did three or four, kind of in a year, year and a half time frame because the market was so hot. Because by me growing up near that side of town, I knew that you know at some point these home prices had to go up. Because what I would do is I would look at the price of where it kind of maxed out. You can go through and look at the records and see like what the home was purchased for way back when. And so that was like my cap. I'm like, I know at some point it's going to get back here because with real estate, unlike a lot of things, you know, for sure it's going to go up. It's just a matter of time. So I was looking at the appreciable value that will come from those properties. Oh, that's smart. That's real smart. Cause I, I do that when I buy stocks, I look at the, like, yeah. um, I look at the past performance, like the year to day, last five years, last 10 years. But I think that's even more important with, Real estate, you like okay. If it was worth one hundred fifty thousand dollars, even if it was five years ago, and I'm buying it for right. fifty, it's gonna get back there. Right. So that's a pretty good way to to look at things. What about in terms of like the tax benefits? Do you is that something that you um kind of appreciate about real estate? I can. Um, I guess it's really when you have a lot of expenses you know, is when it can be really beneficial. I mean, you definitely get some tax breaks because you have a lot of expenses um, in terms of the maintenance. And when I do things myself, I can write that off. So when I'm over there doing painting, clean outs, and whenever I have to go over and do showings, those are things that I can expense. So a lot of people kind of miss that loop because you always want to pay somebody to do things when it's kind of like I'm getting a win-win situation. I'm not necessarily giving myself a salary but I'm saving money by doing it myself because I'm clearly not paying someone to do it. And then I'm as a result also getting that tax break because I can expense it. Mm-hmm. So to me, I view it as a win-win situation. No, I totally agree. Especially something like painting. You can look that up on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you get it? Do you get your hands involved with electrical stuff or plumbing, anything like that? No, hands no, up. I haven't. I haven't upgraded myself to that level yet. I'm strictly painting, a little spackling here or there, you know, I can do things like that. I've done some staining on floors, refinished some hardwood floors and things like that. So I try to, those are certain oh, those are things. Yeah. Those are the things that I leave to the professionals. Anything that requires a license, I kind of back off on that and defer to the professionals on that. But yeah. Yeah. I do painting. If I have a leveler, a stuff finder, <laughs> I'll do that. Yeah. But yeah. uh, anything else, I, I do do standing, but only where at my spot. Uh, something, <laughs> okay. you know, you just the grind of nine to five. You're not trying to do nothing extra. But, yeah, I, I reglaze tubs. I know how to reglaze tubs. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. So is this a so you really would you say you're passionate about this? I am because I'm I'm really hands on, like given, you know, my full time job and my personal life. People are like, why don't you, you know, hire somebody else to do it? But I'm really hands on because I like to know, you know, what's going on with my properties. I like to interface with my tenants to know what's going on. I screen my own tenants. 
Um, so I'm very hands on. So that's why I pretty much kept myself to where I am. Not that I don't enjoy doing it, but I know in order for me to maintain that balance and, you know, have my family life that I can't, I can't do any more because of the way I operate. I have a very active 10 year old daughter. So that precludes me from being as hands on as I was when I first purchased the properties because I didn't have her at the time. Hmm. Now the, the properties that you purchased cash, did you have a refinance out of those or did you just keep them? Uh... Definitely. Nope. Yep. So what's the difference when you are purchasing a property, putting 20% down and dealing with a bank versus just coming with cash? Like what's that process? How is the process different? Well, the process is a lot cleaner. You know, you just show up at the title company with your check, <laughs> you sign a few documents and you're done. You know, but when you're going through the financing process, obviously you have to go through credit check, you know, mounds of documentation have to be provided. Um, there's a lot of phone calls and it's just a real arduous, lengthy process. But you can really cut out the middleman when you go in there with that check. They're happy to see you. Yeah. You know, yeah. they they welcome that because it makes their job a whole lot easier. Yeah. No, I've, I've yet to buy something all cash. My trick, I just... uh. I just offer a lot of earnest money. <laughs> I'll say I'll, <laughs> I'll put down a lot of earnest money and I pray that they look at, you know, take me as a serious buyer when I, when I put that earnest money down. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's something where you can really educate yourself and have um, just a secondary income, but then also like, and it wasn't related to my real estate investments, but I got my broker's license. Oh, okay. Um, and again, you know, something when I was looking for my own personal hustler, You're a hustler. I, I am, you know, <laughs> I, I can't, I can't have all my eggs in one basket. You know, the law thing is going well, but you know, you got to have your eggs in more than one basket. And again, that was something that I came into via happenstance. I was frustrated with my realtor who was showing me homes. I told her what I wanted. You know, she kept showing me things that I didn't want. So I took it upon myself, my lunch hours and in the evenings I would study and I studied and got my broker's license. And I went and found my own property and broker my own deal. That's dope. Yeah, I, I recently got mine as well. Um, not so much for that same reason, but I just felt like I was I was just developing such a passion for real estate. Yeah. And I was just wanting to see properties, you know, yeah. when, I, when I wanted to see them. I wasn't trying to wait on my realtor. Right. Or, okay, what this person said, I wasn't trying to do all that. I just wanted to see all these buildings. And I was like, I don't want to not like I was wasting this time because my brother-in-law and now my license is with his firm, but it was, okay. just, you know, I did kind of feel like I was just, you know, being a nag a little bit. And then I enjoyed it. So I went and got my license. And then, uh, like you said, don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. So I decided to, you know, step out, get the license and then do that on the side. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's been a good, uh, a, a definitely been a good investment. So, um, being that um so so you had a you bought a single family you had a condo mm -hmm. what do you buy next nothing i'm i'm tapped out okay I'm so, tapped so out. it's just those okay so it's just those yeah okay. yeah all right so why um in, in terms of your tenants um what are some of the things that you do to retain tenants well like i said i'm very hands on with my tenants and I mean, I, I actually established a relationship. I still have to make sure that those lines are there 
But, you know, they call me and, you know, they know I'm Johnny on the spot. You know, if something goes wrong or something needs to be addressed, you know, I definitely get on that as soon as possible. And I think just keeping that mindset that I wouldn't have someone live in a place where I wouldn't want to live gives me the longevity that I'm looking for. No, now, there no, have no. been people that have been evicted. Let's be clear. <laughs> you have had evictions. Uh-huh. So absolutely. Are, are you on top of it when it comes to your paperwork? Absolutely. It cost me nothing but my time. Wow. That part is hard because, you know, you get, you know, I, I got, I have a, uh, a tenant. They pay late, like religiously, but they've been there, <laughs> they, they've been there uh, 13 years. You know what I'm saying? So okay. after, after that sixth day, you know, you after the fifth day or whatever, you're supposed to give them that five day notice. At this point, it's like, you know, I don't. But you got, but you got to do it. I you got to do, do it. But I, but you know what I do do though. When they first late, that's when I'm on top. I'm of listening. It. I just need to reconnect my power. I'm sorry. Oh no problem. No, I was gonna say, when my tenants are late, I do. Uh, no, when when I first get tenants, I am on top of it. But after they've been with me for so long, I do kind of take my foot off the uh, gas a little. Bit. <laughs> you can't. Because you know what? What people don't realize is that a lot of tenants are savvier than the property owners because they've done this before. So like in Michigan, you have to send out a seven day notice before you get your court hearing. Once you get your court hearing, the court will give them another 10 days to pay or move. And then if they don't do that, you have to go back to court. So in all, the process could be another two to three months. So you have someone that's there for two, three months, not paying their rent because they know how long it takes. So when you miss that one deadline, that gives them additional time. So when someone doesn't pay on that seventh day, it's in the mail. Man, no, I know. I, I did have a tenant, the same tenant, they was four months behind. They ended up paying me back. But yeah, I, I let it ride out because, uh, you know, I, I guess because they had two little kids in the home and I just felt bad. But I was like, you know, <laughs> you say, no, nah, you're not going for that. No. Nah. Nah, and I I tell people, you know, because and that's why I give every tenant that I have, I give them that spiel. You know, it's nothing personal. I run a business, you know, and I I had tenants, you know, my friends were like, you should write a book because I've had some doozies of stories. People have told me, you know, oh, you know, it's it's my daughter. You know, my my daughter got cancer and, you know, I lost my job. Wow. You know, and I, I, I have to, got cancer. I have that, that still ain't phase you, huh? You know, I have to sit there stone faced, and I'm just like, "Sir, I understand. I, I can appreciate the position that you're in, and while that's unfortunate, you know, I still got bills, and I have bills associated with the property that come from you and your rent. So, wow. you know, how are we gonna? A lot of times, I think they're lying. You know, to be honest with you, you know, the one tenant that told me that I was a thousand percent sure he was not being honest because this is the same person when we're sitting at court, his wife gave him the money to pay me and he pulled $300 back. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, oh, wow, so it's funny. like, you know, I'm, I'm really not inclined to believe your sob story because every time we go to court, you know, you have a different story and a different reason about why I should cut you slack mm. and you're staying in the property that I own, you know? So it's, it's things like that where, you know, your heart goes out to people, but at the same time, you know, they give people 
who aren't really in those positions, you know, a bad rap because you just have to always act on the guys that the people aren't being honest. Even if they are, that just has to be your rule of thumb because otherwise you'll be paying for somebody to live in your home. And I'm not a fan of supporting grown people. <laughs> so. so let me ask this. So I, I, you obviously have a great career. You're an attorney. That's a great profession, uh, stability there. Why not get a property management company? Because I'm too hands on. You know, it's for me, I like to be involved in the aspects because it allows me to keep learning. Even though I've been doing this for a while, there are things that I still learn. You know, even though I'm not an electrician, I learn things about the electricity process, you know, and electrical issues. I learn about roofing things and like that. So when you pass it off to a management company, I think you run the risk of getting so disconnected from it that people can take advantage of you because you hear those horror stories about the management company is overcharging you for repairs. You know, they're telling you the tenant is not paying and they really are, you know, that sorts of thing. So I really just want to stay on top of it and not put myself in a position to even be a victim to those sorts of things. So you don't see ever doing letting a property management company take over i doubt it wow okay because a lot of people like you know they want to get the quote-unquote passive income you know plus i'm cheap i mean in all honesty i'm cheap too <laughs> you know i'm like you know the ones that you don't have issues it's like you paying somebody for something that you could be doing yourself because you don't have any issues but then there are those you know you do have the issues but for me that's that's part of it you know i'm cheap so how do you how do you how do your tenants pay you? Do they mail it to you? They pay electronically. Whatever way works for them, as long as I get it. But so you don't have a because like from now what I do I I have my tenants on auto pay all the new ones. Yeah. Because remember my first spot I lived there, um, and then so now every new tenant you got to be on auto pay. It has to come out of your check. I have this app. It's avail.co. I use. It takes the money right out. And okay. if they have any issues or they got any maintenance issues, they can go on the app. I get it. The app charging me like $10 a month per tenant. I'm not tripping. Okay. That's so, not so, bad. So yeah, I use, I use that. Now I do have one tenant. She just want to, she always just wants to give wanna me mail it. No, she wants yeah. to give it to me. Oh so, no. Yeah. She always wants to give it to me, but I don't mind because that's my way of seeing the building every month. So, and she's older, you know, she's like in her, in her 60s so uh and she pays like clockwork so i was like all yeah. right I, I, i'll come and get it but uh anybody yeah, most, else? most of my tenants pay electronically but then i have one there's an older tenant and he pays by check and then i have one tenant that'll always pay by money order okay okay yeah gotta yeah. watch that one <laughs> so, yeah so um that's the old school for real right there. right absolutely now, do, but, you, do you take cash Absolutely not. Yeah, yeah, me neither. Ab absolutely not. If someone gives me cash, I don't care how late you are. I do this. No, 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 no. Yeah. yeah. Because you have to think about those people that are honest. Because you know, I've had friends whose parents had rental properties long before I ever thought about it. Um, so that was an early education that I didn't even realize I was getting. But um, just to share with you a quick story, a friend of mine, her dad, he had rental properties and he would go and he would collect the money in cash. And what the tenant had done, they had someone waiting to rob him mm. and take the cash back. And they beat him up pretty bad um, to the point he had to be hospitalized. And of course, you know, their vantage point was, you know, I paid my rent. 
So I don't accept any cash, none whatsoever. No, I, I agree with that. Yeah, my mom told me that. She was like, no cash, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, for that very reason that you mentioned. Now, do you have any Section 8 tenants? I do. Okay. How do you – so how do you compare and contrast your experience with Section 8 and market rate tenants? Um, I know Section 8 tenants sometimes get a bad rap, but that's not always the case. A lot of them are really hardworking individuals and they're trying to better themselves. I had one person that was a Section 8 tenant, and when she moved out of my property, she purchased her own home. Oh, and, no. you know, a lot of them are, you know, again, they they kind of get a bad rap. And it was kind of anecdotal that when she moved, I didn't even realize she was doing this, but she was like, you know, I was watching you. She's like, I thought it was great that as an African-American woman, you own this property, you kept it up, you know, and I saw you, you know, you had one truck and then you came back, you know, maybe a couple years later, you had a different truck. And she was like, you know, I want to be like Miss Moore, you know, I want to own my property, you know, I want to get the type of vehicles that I want. And she was like, you really inspired me. So I've been saving my money. You know, I've been watching you. And now when I move here, I'm going to purchase my own home. And she purchased her house like a few blocks from where she was living. So you don't you don't really see a big difference between the market rate and the Section 8 tenant. Not not the ones that I have. I mean, there there are some where you're like, hmm. No, ma'am. No, sir. But I like to pride myself on screening my tenants because I spend a lot of time, you know, talking to them when I go and meet with them to show them the property, because a lot of times people don't realize they're telling you things that they are. You know, someone said, you know, I have to hurry up and move. You know, I was living with a relative and it's like, mm, probably not a lot of stability there. You know, you're not accustomed to paying rent. So we're probably going to have some issues. Or if someone, you know, is exiting a marriage or they're moving out from a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you're like, mm, we might have some issues here, you know. So I just really take the time to listen to people and have conversations with them. And, you know, they kind of screen themselves out. You know, a lot of times people will tell, you know, do you check credit? Yes, I do. Well, my credit is not the greatest, you know. So then, you know, you get into that whole spiel. So. For me, I really just take the time to listen and have conversations with people. And a lot of times you'll get a lot of information that's not on that application. Oh, yeah. No, I had a I remember I had a, a guy who was like, oh, yeah, I love this place, man. But I'm going to be honest, you know, my my record ain't the best. Right. <laughs> but I could pay 12 months in advance. <laughs> I was like, uh, no, <laughs> you know, even right. that, that would have been nice. But uh, it was like, you know, it was him and his girl. He's like, we're going to put it in my girl name. I was like, no. Nah. Right. There's too many right. flags. Now, so right. what, what are some other secrets of tenant screening that you that you kind of use? Um, I see if they're going to provide me a reference. You know, I do check those references. I also go by, you know, who comes with them. Like if it's a lot of people that come with them and then they're telling me, oh, it's just going to be me and my boyfriend or me and my husband. I know that's probably not true. <laughs> you know, so, you know, so you have to look at that because a lot of times people will try to over accommodate a property. And that's something that I always have to be mindful of because it's against the regulations. You know, my places are certified rental properties. I'm not skirting any rules. So I have to make sure that I'm mindful of that because if you have more people living in the home than, than should, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. So I also have to be mindful of that as well. So again, it just goes back to my earlier statement that when you have conversations with individuals, 
you learn a lot more than on those pages of the application that they're submitting. No, that's true. What about what, what type of tenant software do you use or what are the things that you look for in the software? On the background check. No, to be honest with you, in that regard, I'm old school. I don't, I don't use a tenant software. Oh no. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't use a tenant software. No, I have my Excel spreadsheet, and that's it. Oh, okay. Wow. No, I use the software that looks at credit evictions and things of that nature. Wow, that is old school for real. Oh yeah, no, I do that for. I'm sorry, I thought you meant just like maintaining my records and my files. Um, it's not a particular software, but it's a website that I go to to do my credit checks and background oh, checks. Okay, yeah, okay. I just use a particular website. Who pays for that? I do. Oh, so you don't charge the tenant for that? Nope. Wow. So for me, what I do, I, I charge them on the background check. And then if they move in, uh, it comes out of their rent. You know, I pay it back. Yeah, that's something that I expense. Oh, wow. Oh, Okay. So another one, another one of those wonderful write-offs. Yeah, I see. That, <laughs> that's that's interesting. So okay, so you, you, so how much does that cost? Because those those are like fifty bucks a piece. No, it's not that expensive. Uh, you're a lawyer though. You probably got some CIA tech technology, <laughs> or something like that. So yeah, I, I do have access to certain things. Now, do you? How long do you plan on um? Now, do, you, do you plan on growing your real estate portfolio more? I doubt it. No, I doubt it. Um, unless there's something, unless I get a, a, a sweet deal, I, I don't foresee it. Why not? Because of my level of commitment to it and the time that it takes and my level of involvement in order for me to grow it anymore, I would have to turn it over to a management company. And that's not what I'm looking to do right now. Okay, makes sense. Are your are your properties closer in proximity to where you live? Not at all. Oh, so they they're pretty far. So this is um, that's a hike for you. So for me, I I, I can't. They got to yeah. be no more than fifteen minutes away. I can't. I can't be doing all of that driving to, to come. Yeah, I, I don't want to run into my tenants. No, no, sir. <laughs> so you, you're straight on that. That was that was intentional. Okay, well that makes sense. Well, Tina, well, thank you for coming on the show, man. I hope that, um, you know, people were able to learn from some of your experiences. What, what type of, well, why do you think landlords, some people fail when it comes to uh, buy and hold? Um, I think the number one reason is that they think it's a get rich quick thing. You know, the average amount that you make on a rental property is really not that much. Mm. You know, you're doing good to get $200 off of each property. Um, so it's really not, you know, something that you, in order for you to get to a really level where you're actually living off of that, you would have to have multiple properties and it would have to either, you would have your own management company or turn it over to a manager. So I think people get into it thinking that it's quick and easy, especially in metropolitan Detroit, as I referenced earlier, there's a large rental population. So people think, Hey, I can just get something, buy it, slap somebody in there and sit back and put my feet up and collect the money. But those are the people that run into issues and we also know them and refer to them as slumlords because the property is not well maintained. You can't keep anybody in there. You have high maintenance costs, you know, upkeep because you're just hands off on the property. You just want to collect a check. And then when the person is not there paying the rent, you can't sustain it and afford it on your own. 
So I think people get into it with the wrong mentality. And that is just, you know, you're going to be sitting collecting a check every month when there really is a lot of work involved to maintain these properties. Yeah, that's a good point. Sometimes people focus on that top number like, oh, it's a three flat. If I charge each person yeah. $1,000, I'm making 3000 a month. No, it's not right. like <laughs> Right. There's taxes, there's insurance, there's maintenance, there's vacancy. It's always something that pops up. So, yeah, I mean, it, it could be passive, but it, it's weird because it can be passive, but it does take it's like anything else. You have to do the prep, the work up front for it right. to be passive. Like if you just right. somebody in there just because they could breathe, you're going to pay the consequences and it's right. going to work, you know. Right. So, yeah, and and sometimes you have to be willing to sustain, you know, the property being vacant for a month or two to get the right tenant, you know, and that's why. I pride myself on, you know, making sure I have the necessary reserves because if I don't find the right tenant, then it just goes vacant. I'll wait a minute and I'll repost it because if you get the wrong person in there, mm. it's a problem. How, how do you advertise your, your spots? Um, electronically, you know, okay. I have various postings. A lot of times um, I'll kind of have sort of kind of a waiting list because my tenants will say, you know, hey, Miss Moore, do you have any vacancies or any openings? And I'll say, well, not at the time, you know, and they'll have, you know, give their people my phone number and they'll call me. And sometimes it's really just a matter of timing. When they call me, I may actually have a vacancy. So sometimes I don't have to advertise at all. Hmm. How, now, okay, that's that's dope. So that may, that's a testament to you as a landlord. Um, right. What about... Uh, in terms of your team, in terms of people who you, you know, because it's a lot of specialties, plumbing, electrician, mm-hmm. like who are the people, who who would you say are the most important people when it comes to y- your properties? I would say the maintenance person. And that's something that, you know, in the time that I've been doing this, I've probably gone through probably 10 maintenance people. <laughs> you know, that's that's been like probably the most challenging aspect of this because it's really it's the epitome of the saying good help is hard to find Mm -hmm. because people aren't very professional in that realm. You know, they want to get to you when they get to you, you know, if they're mad at you that day, they're going to charge you more, you know, if they're not, you know, so it really just kind of runs the gamut of what treatment you may get from that particular individual. But the struggle that I've had is that people are just not professional, you know, because I pride myself on, you know, when a tenant calls me with an issue to get someone to address it in 24 to 48 hours, if it's something like heat or no water, then it's immediate, but within 24 to 48 hours. So if you're telling me you're going to be over there tomorrow by three o'clock and you're not there, then of course the tenant is calling me and that makes me look bad. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have to go and I have to, so what I've learned to do is have two people in each realm at least. So if that person doesn't show up, then, you know, you kind of ruin that opportunity. I go to my next person. So I try to keep at least two people in each aspect, you know, two plumbers, two kind of general maintenance people, two electricians, um, two heating and cooling. So then that way, you know, I'm not left scrambling when someone decides that they want to be less than professional today. Ah, makes sense. What, um, what are some of the things that, that having that, income that extra income what has it afforded you to be able to do um basically save for retirement Mm -hmm. because i don't i don't live off of that money Mm -hmm. yeah no same here i i for me it's it's knocked out the the biggest bills so 
you know, yeah. mortgage, the car note, and the uh, child care expenses. It's, it's eliminated those, and it's helped me take my every two-week pay. It's helped extend it to, yeah. you know, invest in retirement or, you know, take trips and whatnot. But that's that's good info. That's good info. Um, So, yeah, I, I certainly appreciate you coming on the show. Um, It's good to have uh, especially women come on the show so that people can so I could have a little bit more diversity. Um, so absolutely. And a, and a fellow bison. Let's not forget that. Oh, yeah. Well, you know how we, 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 <laughs> run, we run everything, you know, don't get it twisted. That's right. Yeah. But I appreciate you taking the time out. What year did you come out of Howard? Oh, come on now. You got to do me like that. Oh, uh, well, I came out in 03. All right. You know, I just graduated. Come on now. We just, I just saw you on oh, the lot, on the yard three that's years right. ago. You was, that's right. You <laughs> class of 2022. My bad. You, you still at right. home. Right. I, I just saw you on the yard. Come on, bro. Come on. Don't do me like that. Anyway. <laughs> I'm in my dorm room. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, but I appreciate you coming on, uh, Miss Tina Moore. And uh, what type of law do you practice? I practice labor and employment. Okay, so if you're looking for a labor and employment lawyer or a place to stay in Michigan, make sure you holla at uh, Miss Moore. Absolutely, absolutely. And thank you again. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. Oh, for sure. I'll be more than happy to come back any other time you need me. Great. So for more for more episodes like this, please go to www.gofishvillage.com where we teach everyday people like you how to become financially free through real estate. And if you're looking for a realtor or you want to list your home, you can visit me at www.listwithmercer.com. Thank you.